Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Hello friends and welcome to a joint Bought the T-Shirt podcast today. I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to one of my Royal Marines brothers. This particular gentleman is across the pond in America and I'm sure he's going to tell us more about that. Luke, how are you brother? I'm good mate, how are you? Yeah, I'm, um, I seem to be getting better every day if that makes sense it does make sense and uh yeah i'm slowly getting better every day after recovering from the lack of sleep of having a child so <laughs> yeah so how's how, how's um how's fatherhood because that is amazing it's a, it's a roller coaster isn't it like i mean it, you have days where you, you don't know if you can do it you doubt yourself you know like anything you doubt yourself real bad and then some days you you it's bliss and it's the best thing in the world, you know, like so it's swings and roundabouts. <laughs> it's your first baby, right? Correct. You, you and your partner's first child. Yeah. Now, the thing that got me when we had our I wasn't gonna have kids, right? I really wasn't bothered. I've lived kind of a bachelor lifestyle all my, my life, which had its pros and its and its cons, but when we had our little boy the thing that got me is, why did people who'd already had children not tell me how brilliant this was? <laughs> you know, you go to parties with your mates and they've got maybe two or three kids or something. And you always just chat like blokey stuff or, you know, what are you doing this? Week? Oh, oh, blah, 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 blah. You know, no one ever actually said, Chris, I've got a baby. It's fucking amazing, dude. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, it I really just, is. It, and no one ever said to me that. It, it's... um. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's definitely a slap in the face of emotions and like happiness and just like every bit of emotion in one big stirring pot. That's what it is. Yeah, you know, like and um, yeah, like he does he does new things every single day that just fill me with like pride and happiness. Like every like he like yesterday he just turned turned around. So he he doesn't speak properly yet, but he just turned around and went what and i was just happy that was it this is the happiest thing i've seen all day yeah. <laughs> i tell you, know? you what i think i think we better move up move change yeah. subject because i could <clears throat> i could talk about the funny things that our little harry did when he's a baby i mean i used to say when he was like one and a half maybe two when he just learned to speak i used to say where's your mum?" and he'd go pub <laughs> my, my Jenny, you know, she she's like the last person to be going down the pub, right? So it's quite funny. That's so, awesome. Luke, um, I or we came across each other via YouTube. Your channel is called Original Human for for yep. for my guys that are watching. For yep. your guys that are watching, my channel is YouTube.com. Chris Thrall. T-H-R-A-L-L. And I was in, impressed with your videos. I was impressed with the fact 
um, that as a former Royal Marine, you come up with the idea to start putting stuff on YouTube, which is fairly rare. And and then I saw you kind of disappear. And now I've learned that, you know, you're a father. That kind of makes sense. How long yeah. ago did you leave the Corps? I left the Corps. So I joined in 2008 and I left in 2012. So I did four years. Did four years. Um, I was in training for... A good year because I got injured as well. I got injured in training. Went to Hunter for a little bit. Um, and then the last, obviously, you put your chicken in the last. So I only had kind of two years where I was fully invested as, as a with a green lid. You get what I'm saying? Like passed out, had a green lid for two years. And then the last year, I was I was totally, you know, mindset was, was losing it. Um, but so, we can go on to that. Yeah, so you were in Hunter Troop. So for the benefit of our viewers, that... Back in the day, that was the remedial troop where if where troops join every two weeks at Limston. And so you want to stay, obviously, if you can, with your original troop. It's kind of like your tribe, your family. And you and one of the biggest fears at Limston is either getting binned for not making the grade or getting injured and getting put into this hunter troop where you have to wait to get better. You do kind of remedial PT and then they'll place you in one of the upcoming troops. I was, um, you know, there by the grace of God, I stuck with my original troop, which it's kind of funny what you can pull out the bag when, I mean, I'm not really like a Marine sort of guy, but I just, you know, I mean, I suppose we all are in a way, but I just, in my mindset was I, I wouldn't give up, right? So when, when did you join so I, I, well, I joined in 2008 with uh, 974 Troop and um, I ended up getting injured on bottom field. I, did, I fell off the rope, did a bunch of damage. And um, the way Hunter, I'm pretty sure it's still structured the same way, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, there's three troops in Hunter. There's Hunter 1, Hunter 2 and Hunter 3. Um, Hunter 1 is when you're completely biffed, you're completely injured. You just rest and recover. Hunter 2 is like more rehab. And then Hunter 3 is when your injury is done with and you're just trying to get back fit enough to be in a troop. And uh, what happened was I went obviously into Hunter 1, took a while to get into Hunter 3, and then I got injured in Hunter 3 again. I went back to Hunter 1. So it was like a big heartbreak. Um, and then got fit again and I managed to pass bottom field and get back into a troop. Um, Hunters, Hunters are very... Um, I'd like to say dangerous, but I wouldn't. Maybe dangerous is a bit of a harsh, harsh term for it. But you can be stuck in a loop there. You know, you can get stuck in there, and you see some some lads who get stuck there, and the mindset doesn't help them get out of Hunter. Um, for me, it was just like you know, m make the best of a bad situation. Practice my admin. You know, like practice my drills. All the different stuff that you could practice when when you're injured, basically, um, you know, your core knowledge and stuff like that. And then in Hunter 3, when I actually came out of Hunter 3, I was the fittest I've ever been in my life because they hammer you. They want you to be fit enough to not only get into a troop, but be up to the standard of where the troop is that you're at and then also succeed. So they hammer you. And I was fit as a fiddle when I got out of Hunter 3. Um, three, yeah. th three things I'll say there. One, it's interesting you joined 20 years after me. So I was at 88, 98, 2008. 
Um, and yet I bet our experiences are so similar. Um, the other thing is your, your troop was 974, did you say? I, yeah, I joined with 974, yeah. So I was 558. So that's how many troops have gone by <laughs> since I yeah. was in. Um, the the interesting thing about Hunter Troop or, or whatever the, the equivalent is now is it's not just the training you've got to get through. It's the mindset of, you know, the, the, the trauma, basically, of getting put back and then being in this, you know, you're lonely. You, you know, you're going to be isolated, a bit lonely at first. You, you're worried. You're scared. I can understand um, how people could almost hide out in that troop and not want to go back in the mainstream. And it's funny you should say that, but I had a... Uh, message this week from a, a dear man who was worried about his brother who's in exactly the situation that we just um, described and he's got to go back and do his final exercise again but because he's failed it he's full of like whoa and I just wish um, I almost wish like Hunter Troop was local to me and I could go there and speak to the guys and give them a pet talk and tell them how to, you know, yeah. um, how to smash it. Uh, they could always join my Patreon group. I run this pa Patreon uh, team. I'm going to mention this because uh, That's it's, um, it's growing into a really special thing. And just for just £2 a month, I do all free life coaching and I, I you know, I want to get people to a position where they're happy with their life and they're smashing their goals and that nothing is a problem and that they're basically happy because it's it's such a lovely place to be, to be completely content with life and not want for everything like everybody seems to. Uh, not everybody, but, you know, so many people just seem so unhappy. And, and um, so, yeah, if you're watching anyone in Hunter Troop, whatever it's called now, patreon come and join me <laughs> yeah and anyone if it, if it, if someone is watching who is in hunter or knows someone that's in hunter it it's very easy to get into that cycle but you can get out and you can get out of hunter better than you was when you went in by a long shot i was honestly so much more fit when i got out my my admin was better i was just an all-around way better soldier when i when i came out of hunter so you can use it to your advantage tremendously yeah. and it's you really, really important not just in the marines but in life you have to turn every negative into a positive and you have to use only positive language i mean yep. just the other day luke i was you know um well not just the other day i mean it, this is all the time i listen to the language people use and it's so negative it's so defeatist and most often it's based on what other people say or do or think. And it's like, live your life. You know, you get, as I always say, you know, you get one life, you've got to smash it. And, uh, yeah. and um, yeah, so anyone, out, anyone listening to Hunter Troop is, you know, focus, look to the future. Imagine that day when you put your green lid on and you're out of those gates and you've got the whole rest of your, you know, your life ahead of you. And it's, you know, I think we've both got kind of a different idea of the military in our, uh, can we say, our old age. But that doesn't take away from the fact it's a real special boys club, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, it is. 
to get it's that special group. you know like i i um yeah it's such a special club to the fact that like even closer to the end of my time in the marines i wasn't enjoying myself and i was severely depressed um by the time i left and i meet other lads with green lids outside of the core or whatever you instantly bond like you instantly you have that connection that a lot of other people don't understand you know and, and you know you know exactly what you've both been through and and i think that creates such a special bond and um that bonds like that are really lacking in society today oh, and i think yeah i think that's why like um you know suicide rates are so high depression rates are so high because there isn't a bond between people anymore like like there should be um and even though yeah you know we you went through some hard times after the core and i went through some hard times like you know we we can still connect we can still connect and still create that bond you know yeah, I mean, I could talk, I could do a whole podcast in itself talking about how this society's purposely been destroyed. People have been, dis- that their minds have been destroyed. They've been isolated in what, what you can call the home cocoon by technology, where you just sit in doing this, thinking that this is being sociable. You lose your bonds with other people. You lose the ability to just say hello to people. Um you know, I use this example a lot, but every morning I go to the gym and it just, it gets tiring. The same people trying to scurry past me with their head down and yet they know that I'm, I'm going to say hello to you. I'm sorry. It's just, you know, we've got to keep, you know, we've got to keep some things alive, right? But at what point do people get so damaged that they can't just look another human being in the eye and, and um, you know, talk and, well... yeah. Yeah, I guess we we, I guess with the advent of the television, that 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 was kind of the the demise of uh, proper social lives. Yeah, I think social media doesn't help, but um, I think it's it's going full circle. Um, I think the younger generation, so the generation below mine, um, I think um, they're starting to realise the impacts of social media. Facebook's people are dropping off Facebook like crazy. I've dropped off Facebook. I'm not dealing with that anymore. And you know what? When when I first, um, before I got my job as a programmer, I was working in a restaurant and a um, big table of about 12 kids came in. There must have been about 16, 17. Bear in mind in the US, you're in school until you're 18 here. So they're still high schoolers. Um, they all come and they all sit down. I give them time, get a drink and stuff like that. And I walk over and they put all the phones in one pile in the corner of the table and they've left them there so that no one uses the phone that they're all held accountable and for me that was like it was it was super refreshing like do you know what i mean like you go in you see these young people who for the most part they are usually on the phone but they put their phones aside and thought you know what we're gonna actually interact and i think we gave them all free dessert because of it um it was it was really it was it was inspiring to see young people do that it is I'm inspired by these people that go back to the old flip phones, you know, or the old Nokias. And I yeah. kind of, I, I genuinely think if I didn't run a business, you know, com, I would do that because the only reason I have a, oh, can't even lift it up, but the only reason I have a smartphone <laughs> is is as an author and a talker and a, and a you know, YouTuber and, and all the other things that I try and do. It's, it's just an essential piece of equipment, right? But putting yeah. my career to one side, 
can't think what I would I just wouldn't be that presumptuous to think anybody I know would could really give a damn about me posting a picture of going to the gym in the morning <laughs> you know like yeah. I, honestly I'm not that narcissistic I wouldn't want people to care what I was doing and I you know I only do it because it's you know you put a few hashtags about your career in there and it, and it's all promotion obviously and when you work for yourself obviously I don't want to be working for the rest of my life so so we so I do these things but yeah. so let's go back let's peel back well let's peel back to the beginning because I'd be fascinated to hear how the Marines went if, if I use just use the expression how it went sour for you which it really yeah. did, for, did for me at the end <clears throat> um but were you a kind did you come from a Marine family or a military family because I, I really didn't well my dad was in the military he was in the Falklands War and um he actually he had a big injury in the Falklands War and he was in the Navy um so I always saw like he had these books where he was mentioned in books and stuff and it was that big inspiration that made me think god I'd love to I'd love to do that but he was also so quiet about it that it didn't really feel like a military family. Do you get what I'm saying? And and not that, like, he obviously was super proud, loves the fact that, you know, both my mum and dad, I love them to bits. Um, but they did. They never pushed it. They never pushed it. Yeah, you know, we went to see cadets. We went to the cadets and stuff like that. And he ended up joining out, just joining just to help out and stuff. Um, so there was that aspect where it was there, but he never, he never was like, you should do this, you should do that. It was just like, you know, what makes you happy, that's fine, but make the right decision, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm the, the same with my, my son now. Is He's obviously welcome to make whatever decisions he can, but there's a big part of me, even though, yeah, of course I'd be proud if he joined the Marines and he got a great, you know, if that's what he wanted to do, because I knew, I know how much it meant to me. But also there's a big part of me. I hope that I can tell him how the world really works and who who you're actually fighting for when you're a Marine. And it's and and that you, you know, I don't want to get too political because probably our young, you know, people with their head dead set on joining the Marines don't want to hear it. But, you know, at least they'll be able to join up with knowledge that I just never had, you know, and, and maybe yeah. avoid the sort of the brainwashing. So um, let me just go back. What, how old was you when you joined? I was 18. Yeah. Okay. Jo so I was about, I was 16. So we were about the same age. We were so young. But I think, so young. I think even 16 is, I mean, it's almost criminal, isn't it? You think about it. You're, it's, it you're letting children, we criticize other countries for having child soldiers and yet we recruit <clears throat> them ourselves. Um, yeah. We recruit yeah. Gurkhas because they, they come from a, a land of poverty and, and they'll do it, you know, they, they'll, they'll obviously they're very proud to join the British army, but primarily it's a, a financial kind of decision. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I was homeless living in my car and my mate did the PRC as it used to be called now the PRMC. And he came round like to my car, knocked on the window and yeah, I've just joined the Royal Marines and you could never do it. And I was like, you don't tell me what to do, right? So I went to the, I, 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 um, apologies if people have heard this story before, but I set myself a goal of being a, as an incredibly unfit person, 
Um, I was smoking and you know drinking and all the rest of it. So I set myself a goal of running a mile and a half. And if I could run this mile and a half, it might even have been a mile. And it was around a, a big rock. We call it the where I used to live. There's a, a big landmark called the Rock. It's this huge, like a meteorite that's crashed out the sky, and it was a mile away from my uh, half a mile from my house. And I said, if I can run around that and not stop. I'll go to the recruiting office after the Christmas holidays and sign on the, you know, or try and sign on the dotted line. And on that run, which I'm now writing about in the wake of um, running the length of the UK, I'm going to put this little bit in my book because it's so important. When I was on that run, I had the choice. If I stopped running, I wasn't going to go to the recruiting office. I wasn't going to waste their time, right? If I couldn't run a mile and a half, I wouldn't waste their time. And I was dying on that mile or mile and a half. I was just absolutely dying, Luke, you know, and all everything in my body and my mind was saying, stop, just stop, walk, walk. You can walk. You haven't got to prove anything to anyone. You're not going to die if you start walking. But in my mind, I could see the vision of the future and I, I didn't want to let it go. You know, I didn't yeah. want to not join the Marines because suddenly I had this ray of hope in my life had this, you know, a career that I'm going to get paid more money than all my friends get. I'm going to leave home when most of my friends still live in their bedrooms. Um, I'm going to join the most, you know, elite fighting force in, in, in or basic infantry force in the world. And uh, funny that actually, I, I've seen people make comments saying, oh, all forces think they're, they're the best. It's like, no. The Romans don't think they're the best. They 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 do the toughest basic training in the world. They they know they're the best, right? Yeah. Just thought I put that in there. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it's interesting. It's in it's it's interesting. How was it for you? Did you did you know anyone was, that had joined up, or was it just? It was a similar experience. So I was in the sea cadets, which have an attachment of like the marine cadets. So there was like people joining here and there. Um, but I was always the chubby kid. You know, my brother, my older brother, two years older than me, he was the fit one. He was the one that everyone thought was going to go into the military. And I was the one that they thought was not going to do anything. And uh, I had a, you know, funny you said about the running non like without stopping. Um, Similar thing happened to me where when I started telling people I wanted to join the military, they were like, yeah, sure. And then when I started telling people I want to join the Marines, then it was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm sure you're going to join the Marines. Um, and we have a lake near our, near our house where I grew up called Hollingworth Lake. And um, I think it's like I think it's like two miles all the way around or something similar. Um, and basically my goal, my friends who doubted me came with me and my goal was, I'm just going to run around the lake without stopping. Even if it's, even if I, my jog is so slow, it's basically a walk. I'm going to do it without stopping. That's my first goal before I jump. Bear in mind, I was like 15 at this point, still in school. Plenty of time to get fit, you know. Um, and my mates came along and they're like, oh, I want to see him run. I want to see if he can do this, but, you know. And they would do the thing where they would sprint past me as fast as they can. And you'd see them walking and slowly, but surely I'd catch him up. And I made it the whole way around. Mm. And I think that pride of being like, People are telling me I can't do stuff, but I can. Made me want to do it even more. I had a, um, when you pick your classes in near the end of school, you pick like what kind of route you kind of want to go down, which is weird because you're so young, you 
you don't really know what you want to do anyway. But um, that, I digress. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you pick these classes. And I picked a bunch of IT classes. And I had this teacher, this old lady, she just didn't like me. She just did not like me. And when I said to her, you know, I'm not bothered about school anymore because I'm going to join the Royal Marines. She was like, no, you're not going to join the Royal Marines. And um, about a couple of days after I told her, they had the Royal Marine like display team come to our school. And um, I was actually sick that day and I didn't go in and I didn't know they were going to be there. So I was heartbroken. And when I went in the next day, people were like, you're not going to be able to do that. You know, like this teacher was like, yeah, you're definitely not going to be able to join. And um, I know when I got my green lid, I was on the front page of my local newspaper. And I know she reads that newspaper every morning. <laughs> so I had the most, I've, I've told this story on my YouTube channel before. So I have the, um, the, the little bit of a last laugh, even though it's a bit childish there. Well, do you know what I mean? <laughs> this, is, this is the thing that I find crazy. And I, I get better at this all the time. I'm definitely better in my, you know, my, my say my old age, but I think our listeners know what I mean, is when you're young, you're so driven by your ego or your lack of ego, you know, your lack of self, not self-confidence, but, and it's so funny that, when you make decisions out of ego, they're always for the wrong reasons, right? Whereas yeah. now I'm much more relaxed. I couldn't really give a shit about anything or what anyone thinks or says or does. Um, just live my life. I don't. I don't get cross. But I mean, when you're a young marine, if you're in a bar and you heard someone over there bad mouthing the marines. You just go over and freaking punch them, you know, you, you know, or, or not, not, not every single Marine, but a good percentage of us would, would, I mean, I'm not kind of, I don't, I was like somewhere on that scale, depending on how drunk I was, was how much, how much, how many fights yeah. I'd get in downtown. But you're, yeah. you're kind of, you're an egomaniac as a Marine, aren't you? Yeah. Um, I was in the, the sauna the other day and. One of the lad, you know, there was a lad in there, and it was all whoa, 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 and immediately, like I was like, dude, are you a marine? And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, what it is? We're doing this, and da 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 da, and it, and it was um, I don't know if I'm putting this into words correctly, but it was all like, wow, just this massive ego blown over you, and it's all about me, and it's all about what we're doing in the marines, and it's, and it just made me think, my God, it's. It's um, it's kind of like not everything, dude. But yeah, mm. yeah. So how 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 did you decide you're going to leave the Royal Marines? What was your decision on, uh, on leaving? What what set the wheels in motion, Luke? Was uh, it it is a co like everything in life? It's a combination of a few factors. First of all, my very first um posting I asked for four two commando and so my first draft and I did so uh, it was quite convenient it was in the southwest which is where where I grew I spent a lot of time growing up but also we were going straight out to Northern Ireland to the Northern Ireland conflict and I thought if I'm going to be in the Marines I want to see active service so let's let's go and get that done first of all so I saw active service, saw, you know, quite a reasonable amount of it. 
I mean, I think uh, anyone that is in a conflict that gets to cock their weapon is probably seeing more conflict than 99.99999% of service personnel that have ever lived, right? Um, so, so that was a, you know, kind of experience under the belt. I then did Arctic warfare training up in Norway that, that, as you know, we do. And then I was very fortunate to get on a ship. So I was on HMS Invincible, the aircraft carrier for over a year. I mean, we literally sailed to Barbados. I mean, obviously we literally sailed, but it's almost like a dream. Just, it was a dream. It was like being in a dream we're sailing to Barbados when you and when we stepped ashore in Barbados it was I don't think there's words that can describe that amazing experience of being in a part of the you've never been before it's so tropical it's so sunny it's so warm and it's just like the world is my oyster right so I did that sailed all around the world saw saw quite a few countries and then I did four years of guard duty at Stonehouse Barracks in Plymouth and I bought a house in Plymouth. And what started to happen is I was not only in a very boring draft anyway. I mean, guard duty is something all Marines try and avoid wherever possible. It's 24 hours of sleep deprivation and bought basically... Even watching TV wasn't fun, was it? You know, you'd put a film on and it, you just knew you had to go and stand on that gate or go on patrol and it just wasn't fun. You're drinking this tea and coffee that just tastes slightly yeah. weird. And so I had, <laughs> you know, I did my last three or four years doing that. But what started to happen is I would hear other Marines say, don't go outside, there's nothing out there. As in... Don't go to Civvy Street, Civilian Street. Uh, don't leave the military because there's no jobs for ex-Marines. You know, there's nothing. This is the best experience you can have. And uh, that was alarming to me. I thought, I can't live my life in one job just because I'm scared to go and try something else. So that started mm -hmm. to tell me that possibly these people were a bit brainwashed. You know? Yeah. Because there is a lot of stuff outside. I mean, I've lived, I've, you know, people get sick of me saying it, but I've, I've been all around the planet several times now. I've done weird and wonderful jobs and had some amazing experiences that I just wouldn't have had had I stayed in the in the Corps for 22 years. Yeah. So that started to alarm me. Then I started a business and it just happened to really take off in Hong Kong. It just exploded in that dream way a bit like you kind of hope your youtube channel is going to explode right that it, I, it literally was that dream and i was set to become uh, a millionaire and and all these kind of stuff that's important when you when you're young and uh then i was just fixed then i knew what i wanted to do i want to get out the marines as soon as i can and on that last sort of two years when people knew i was leaving it two things happened one I just started to see all this shit about being in the forces and, you know, unique to the Marines. Or obviously, you know, I was unique. I was in the Marines, so 
what I'm, I'm, I'm probably trying not to say I saw this shit about the Marines, but that's basically what, what happened. And the other thing was um, people would start to like victimize me because I was leaving and not, not it never got massively nasty. It, it just, it got to a point where it's like, guys, I'm trying to leave because I want to better my life. I don't just yeah. want to be doing, you know, this job forever. I've, I've done all the stuff, you know, I've done all the exciting stuff. I want to go out and do, do something else with my life. And it's like, and, and people take that two ways in the military. They either respect it. Even the RSM really respected me that I was leaving. He said, I, I would have left like 10 years ago, Chris, if I had something, you know, or Marine Corporal Thrall as I was then. He said, I would have left 10 years ago. I just don't know what I would have, you know, what I would have done. Yeah. And uh, I got quite bitter at times in that two years. Especially when, say, I had a bit. I was doing business meetings and, and speaking at conferences to up to up to like two two thousand people at a time, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. fifteen hundred people at a time. And I'd have like this conference on Monday, which was my day off, and then on the Friday, someone would go, "Right, Fro, you're doing guard on Monday." I'm like, "No, dude, I can't. I can't. I've got fifteen hundred people waiting for me. I, I." Yeah, well, that's your fucking business shit. You're on the fucking gate, you know? And it was just like, mm. oh, you fucking wanker, you know? Yeah. You fucking narrow-minded, thick-brained fucking wanker. And that's, excuse my French, but that is how I felt, you know? And it didn't ingratiate, it, it didn't, you know, the Marines wasn't ingratiated to you. So it was that, and... You know, horses for courses. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'd never slag off the Marines, but I will talk about you know my experience while I was in there, right? Yeah. So how yeah. how was it for you then, Luke? Yeah. So I would say it was kind of similar in a way and a, a lot different. And I think I think a big part of it was my age. I think a big part was my age. So I ended up going to a unit. Um, I got I picked four five and went to four five, and I was happy with that. Um, went up there, had a great time. Um, and then got, I got ping. You, you've got a northern accent, so do you want to tell our listeners where where you live? I'm from, yeah, I'm actually from Manchester, Manchester, England. and yeah. So fourth Manchester for people who are listening is kind of in the north of the UK, or the, the, certainly the north of England. But it's for argument's sake, it's just past midway when you go north. Four five is in Scotland, so that's way in the north of the UK, um, yeah. and it's well known for five commander for being a sort of rugged unit that go and do Arctic warfare training, like my unit four two did, which is in the south. Um, yeah. They wear their berries in a different way in four five commando. It's just an issue of pride for them. You can yeah. only wear your berry that way if you've been in that unit, and that's quite respected. Yeah, and. Uh, so, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so I went to 4-5 Commando. That was the pick that I had. Um, sorry, my headphones messing up a bit there. Um, I went to 4-5 Commando, and it was good because it was my first choice. You know, that's what I wanted to do, and I went up there. And my first year or so, I was having a really good time. But there was a few – I don't think I noticed them at the time, but now when I look back at my mental state, there was a few little red flags going on. Um, so first and foremost, when I went home – I wasn't bonding with my friends that I grew up with anymore. And bearing in mind, I'm still a teenager. So 
I wasn't really bonding as well as I'd like to do. Uh, like, so, like, like I would have wanted with my, with my old friends because I had that disconnect of what I've been through, and um, you know, they're still going to college and university and stuff like that. So there was a lot of like, I don't know, distance. So when I went home, I didn't really feel like like I used to. Um, and then when you join a commando unit, you get, you know, you have that kind of induction phase, but you, you're welcomed and they kind of take you under the arm a little bit. So for the first year, I was having a grand time. I was living the dream, the best thing in the world. I had a green beret, you know, like it's that feeling that you have where you're on top of the world, you know. Um, and then I got pinged for BCR, which is Battle Casualty Replacement for 40 Commando down south. So I went down there. I was there for about two months and I didn't get sent out. So I was just sat around waiting. Am I going to go out? No, nope. am I going to go where, out? No. Nope. Where, where were they serving? Were they in the Middle East? They, they were in uh, Afghan. It was Herrick 12, I'm pretty sure. And uh, I didn't get pinged. So I was kind of just gutted and things just that, because I was very alone down there. There was only a handful of us. And near the end, it was like, there was very few of us left. So, we were doing nothing all day. There was no no one there to, to give us things to do. We were just sat around all day. And um, after this that... Is, um, I think it's important for our younger listeners that are thinking about joining the Marines is this... I've mentioned this before to, to these guys. There's a massive amount, uh, amount of just sitting around, literally almost just staring at the floor... It's not yeah. kind of your time, so it's not like you can go and disappear and run an internet business or or read a. I mean, you you could probably read a book, but you you you're you're left with this mindset that like I just want to get away from here, but I've kind of got a stake as no one's actually said right right folks, you know, off you go now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, it was summer. It was summer as well, so like there was plenty of stuff we wanted to do. You know, like we wanted to go out and do things. I wanted to drive back up home and spend time with my family, but I was sat around. And I think this is this is the first kind of little turning point of my mental health going a little bit sour. And uh, after that, I got set back up to 4-5. Uh, ended up joining a different company. And um, this is when it started to go a little bit downhill for me. I joined a troop. Now, I, I, I don't know the logistics of other people's perspective of, of people joining, you know, their, their company and stuff. And I can only go off what my experience was. Um, but I ended up being put in basically the same bed as someone that the corporal of that troop didn't like. And he was also called Luke, which really kind of, you know, I don't know what it was, but this, this corporal, he, he had done an a ungodly amount of tours. He definitely definitely had a, a troubled state of mind a very and you know you know the type it's hard to explain to people on youtube is, what this is, is like is this the guy you're in the room with or or this is the guy that's in my section yeah he, he's a corporal he's a corporal in my tree yeah. was he kind of like thuggish or so, so... very very thuggish very like mafia mafia with his own people type if you're not one of us you you know and um he had he was a sergeant got demoted and he he had a lot of things going on and and, I, and i'm not saying i'm not saying he's a bad person because he's only projecting what he's received do you get what i'm saying yeah. like he's only he's he had a lot of trauma in in going on tour so this i didn't know that at the time obviously looking back now as a as i reflect on it that's what i think um 
So he had a lot of things going on and he wanted to direct that. And I don't know what it was, but he just didn't like me from the get-go. There was no explanation of what it was whatsoever. He just didn't like me. Um, and, you know, that sounds like, okay, cool, it's just a sergeant, but he had such an influence on that troop that it made me feel like I wasn't welcome. So this is when it really started going, okay, now I'm, I had a drinking problem. I'd go home and my mates didn't really, like, understand me. So I was alone there, and then I'd go to the troop. They didn't want anything to do with me, so I was alone there. And I'm, I was a teenager. Like, I didn't really know who I was. Um, and things started to go wrong. You know, he beat me up at one point. Um, and I, again, this is not a representation of what the Marines is by a long shot. This is just one, you well, know what I mean? One it, instant. It, 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 it's interesting you say, and I'm sorry I keep interrupting. It's just, um, it, I just kind of want to validate what you're saying for people listening, because I had such a similar experience. And yes, I will always say, Marines are, generally speaking, really nice guys, okay? Hopefully yeah. going to be nice girls as well, but I only knew guys, obviously. Um, here's the thing, though. I found a lot of them were quite cowardly in as far as they were nice guys, but these domineering people, like you've just mentioned, would have such an effect on them that they would stand back and watch you getting shit without kind of going, actually, Chris doesn't fucking deserve that, mate. Le le leave the guy alone. Y you know, that yeah. I, f I found that happened. But it's also, again, important to understand the Marines can be an incredibly violent uh, arena. I mean, yeah. seriously. Some of the stuff you're hearing, you might think, ah, oh, why didn't you just go and see, your, your, you know, your sergeant major or, or a sergeant and complain. It, it doesn't work like that. Now, if you have an issue with someone, you, you, it, it, it goes two ways. First, you judge how hard they are, i.e. whether you're going to fight them. And then you either fight them or you just have to bite the bullet and step back because basically they're harder than you. And it's yeah. not it's not the being harder than you that you're worried about. It's the fact that they really could hurt you badly. And yeah. to give you an example, I mean, one of my friends, he was always fine to me, you know, got on. We're still in touch now, actually. But he was uh, one of the top Manchester football gang hooligans, right? Mm. When he... Um, went on his junior command course, so the course you do to become a corporal, one of the guys, bad mouth, you know, like, um, back talked him, whatever that word, you know, back chatted him, or something like that, you know, so he just it was just like one thing this guy said. So, this guy, the friend, you know, the guy that I knew, waited until the night time when everyone was in their bivvies, he took out his entrenching tool. So your entrenching tool is obviously what you dig a, a trench with. Can either be a pickaxe or a shovel. This guy had a shovel. He went and found that guy's bivy, pulled back the flap, and then he just caved his caved his head in with this um, entrenching tool. And he's like, right, 
fucking talk to me now. Fucking talk to me. You know, yeah. gob off at me now. And he's basically just smashed the hell out of this guy. Yeah. When we were in Norway, we are in the same section. And he was a he was only a lance corporal then i think or he might have been a might have still been a marine just like me and we were skiing along and something the corporal our corporal said something so insignificant to him no i tell you what it was our corporal was flapping a bit so he was panicking flapping is marine speak for panic he was panicking a bit because he's got the compass out we're all geared up with our bergens our rifles our, we got skis on we're going through snow. Sometimes the snow can be up to here. It's, you know, it's quite something. You've got to keep up with everyone else. And if you're navigating, you're leading the troop, a section or a company, you've got to get that map reading right or you're going to look a prized idiot and then everyone's shouting at you. So our corporal, I'm not going to say his name, but he's, he's you know, doing his best. And this lad said something, you know, innocuous to him, like, can we like have a smoke break it was something like that the corporal just turned around fucking shut up shut up like that because he was stressed right anyway we carried on for about an hour and then the corporal turned around and went right lads five minutes smoke break let's just sit on your bergens so i took my bergen off took sat down on it and then this lad this 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 marine i'm this i'm telling you about just walked past me right up to the corporal and just grabbed him. So this is a Marine grabbing a corporal, which that just doesn't happen because you can get charged for that, you know? Like I say, this guy would not take anything from anyone. He just grabbed our corporal and went, now fucking tell me to shut up, like that. And the the corporal knew to sort of de-escalate it and, and not cause, yeah. you know, not battle. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was just stressed, okay? Like, right, fucking ever tell me, you know, you ever tell me to fuck off again, I'll fucking pan your head in. Like, and sorry for all the language, folks, but it, it's, it's very, it's a very intimidating arena at times and you've got to pick your battles. But the problem yeah. is the guy that you're telling me about, I know that, I know that guy and I've never met him because yeah. there's one in every troop. Yeah. There's and there's one, you know, so there's so many of these type of people in a unit. Yeah. And it was the same for me. What the my first um my first uh section in Norway, I was put in with this big old alcoholic Falklands veteran, right? Uh I'm not going to give too many details away because I don't believe in doing that without someone's permission, obviously. But right. cut long story short, he was this aging alcoholic. He used to have to take pills. I used to see him taking pills and he used to go, that'll calm me down. That'll calm me, you know. The doctor says that'll calm me down, right? So he's obviously got some mental disorder. And yeah. and he made my life a misery, you know. He just took out his alcoholic anger on me because I was the young skin, you know. I was a, the new lad. I was about 10 probably about 10 and a half stone. It's before I started bodybuilding and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, he, he would just talk down to me in front of the whole troop. And then other, other corporals kind of joined him, you know, 
and then his 2IC, so his Lance Corporal in, in my section, then ganged up with him, like, just against me. No one else, just against me. Everything mm. was fucking thrall. And yet the yeah. the irony was I was like a far better, you know, as a far better Marine than this Lance Corporal. I, you know, my skiing was like shit hot, you know, for a first winter, right. I, came, I came seventh in the first company ski race. Um, and that was after being in Norway for, that's, you do that on the first weekend or the second weekend. So, so um, in the end, someone must have said something to my sergeant and he was a nice guy and he just come up, put his arm around me one day and went, Chris, how about you swap sections and you go in so-and-so section? I tell you what, I went from hell into heaven. These guys yeah. were so good. They were so nice. We worked as a team. You'd go out on guard duty in, you know, minus 30, come back to your tent and they got you all your sleeping bag for you and they got your food on the go for you and you just chat about life and it was... It was just amazing. So, sorry yeah. I'm talk, talking a lot, folks, but I just wanted to say, yeah, it's, it's you know, it, it, if you cop something like that during your time in the Marines, some guys do, some guys don't seem to, mm. it really can make your life a fucking misery, you know? It yeah. can make Because you, you feel... can't leave it. You can't leave it. Like you're there, you live in it. You yeah. you live there. You sleep next to them. You can't escape. Like you can't escape, and I think that was one of the big reasons why I started to break down. Yeah. You can't escape. You can't go anywhere. Like he's not going anywhere because he's got to stay there, and you've got to stay there. Yeah. So no matter and, what you do, and, you know. And the other the other thing, Luke, is like it's all well and good saying, "Oh, go through protocol, go through the rules, and you know, change." It doesn't work like that. These guys. They don't care about going in the prison cells. It's called, what's it called? DQs? You know, they don't care um, about, yeah. you know, or was it, or is it culture? I can't remember. I think, I think Marines can... it's, is it Colliurst? Was it not Colchester, like the army? Oh, maybe it's Colchester. Uh, yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> it's been Guys, so long. if you're watching, someone put it in the comments for us. But yeah. basically these, they don't give a fuck about going to prison for beat, you know, for GBH against you. They, they, yeah. They'll just smash your face in and, and risk the con consequences. And most of the time you get off it, don't you? You know, you just, go, mm -hmm. I mean, the number of times I had black eyes and cut lips because I've been fighting with another Marine. And um, yeah. you just turn in the next day, stand to attention. And if your sergeant says, through what, you know, why have you got a fat lip? You just are oh, some civvy punched me down, sat downtown sergeant. I didn't get his, you know, I don't know who it was. I didn't get his name. You, you, do you know what I mean? So yeah. they can't then follow it up. So, yeah. And even if they did know, they kind of brush it under the rug a little bit, don't they? It's like a bit of a hush-hush mentality of like, oh, well, you know, it's all fine type of thing. But, I mean, again, this is one instance. There's been plenty of people who were in, you know, who went through training my age or age and had a great time. And that's totally fine. And I think I just had, you know, the bad, the bad draw. And I think um, my mental state at the time just didn't help. It didn't help. It was deteriorating, and and yeah, you know, I I hope that guy, I hope that that corporal, I I really hope he healed. I hope he, you know, figured things out. Things out. I know he went to jail for some time, but I I I do hope that he truly found happiness because he wasn't happy. He was just no. not a happy person, and he had a lot of issues. And I I really truly hope he 
he he um, is doing well now, even though you know he he was probably a contributor to my mental state for a good four years after that. You know, I was depressed. I was, you know, I ended up. Um, we did six months of pre-deployment training with. I was with this troop when we were doing it, and uh, two weeks before we got deployed. So you're so you, after six months of pre-deployment, you're so ready to get out there, and then um, two weeks before we deployed, they pinged a bunch of people um, who basically couldn't drive. I think that was the the criteria. They pinged these people and got they got replaced with the Royal Marine Reserves in the troop. So even though I did all this training, I got put as BCR again. And it was during this time when, and bearing in mind for the whole company, there was about there must have been about two hundred lads who were BCR. So the chances of me going out were so slim. Um, I ended up um, they they went around and basically asked if anyone wanted to do uh, maritime security. Um, similar what to, to what you did on on uh, on ship, where I was on a small ship and we'd go out and we'd look after the ship, and and I put my hand up for that. But at that point, my mental state was already gone. It was, do you know what I mean? Like I was already in a bad place, and it was downhill from there. I, I came back. I um, said I wanted to put my chit in. They pinged me as a driver because I wanted to put my chit in and made so my people, life even worse. People listening, ping is when someone picks <laughs> yeah. you for a job you don't want to do. Well, sometimes mm. you do want to do it, but it's like we call it pinging. It's called pinging yeah. people and chit, probably self-explanatory. That's when you put your your notice in to go in to, to do your 18 months notice for civ, civ, civvy street, civilian yeah. street. Yeah. And, you know, by the time you do that, when you put your, your chit in to leave, you've got a year. You've got a year to to leave. And um, that that isn't a fun year. That's not a fun year because you're yeah. you're ready to leave. Um, so you know it, it was just a it was it was like a snowball effect with my mental health. And um, looking back now, I'm very thankful for a lot of things. It made me very understanding of other people's perspectives. I've learned so much about about other people and myself. For for a big thing, I learned a lot about myself because going in at 16, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I was. You know, like I didn't know what I wanted. I thought I was doing something that looked good and I felt good about it. You know, I didn't really know what I was fighting for. I don't really know what I was training for. Um, apart from trying to prove people wrong, that was pretty much it. Um, so, you know, I learned a lot about myself and I, you know, I, I, I'm, I got my green lid. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm still so proud of what I did and so happy that I got to do it. Um, but yeah, you know, just so happens that some parts of my time in the core were not as mm. as glorious as what you expect them to be, and sometimes you just got to take that on board and be like, "All right, well, it is what it is," you know. And yeah. again, you take you take the very, good thing um, out of it. You sound very philosophical about it, mate. So well done. Should we talk a bit? I had about... a lot of time to think about it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you get one life, and and you've got to get your head right. You've got to get your thinking right, haven't you? You know, because yeah a lot of people will carry these things the rest of their life and and that just doesn't help anybody and it certainly doesn't help you i just have an expression we only go forward and i literally that that is my mindset I, tomorrow is you know i care about the now and i'm looking forward to tomorrow yesterday i i can't change anything about that so I don't even think you know other than than the remember the good memories I don't even mm -hmm. think about it, right? But yep. what I thought, Luke, is we should maybe uh, talk a bit about training because I'm sure a lot of people would be really interested 
yeah. to hear about that. What did what did you struggle with in training? So I actually just did a really good video on this um, about what I say is like my the hardest part of all marine training, which for me, you know, it's all about perspective, right? Like some people is the hardest part is you know, the first couple of weeks. Sometimes it's final legs or the 30 miler. Um, but for me, I got injured on bottom field pass out and that stuck in my head. So when I had to do that again, it was like the big thing. It was a physically hard test. I mean, it's a hard test to do bottom field pass out, but when you get injured on it and it takes so long to recover, um, I think that is kind of, that's kind of like, uh, the big hurdle of getting over something that injured you is yeah. mentally so very hard. Bottom field pass out for people listening. Yep. After I'm, I'm just going to come out with weeks here. They're not exact, but after you do initial military fitness for like eight or twelve weeks, that's all gymnasium stuff. Doing da 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 da. You do well, you do that for the first sort of four weeks. Then you start to do your UMC kind of stuff in the gym and your rope climbing. You yep. do that up until about week twelve. Then you go down onto the bottom field where all your assault courses. Um, you don't actually start to go on the Tarzan assault, the, the Tarzan course just yet. Really? But you do fireman's carries, 30-foot rope climbing. You do um, the assault course and you do lots of just exercise down there. So it's sit down, stand up, run to the, run to the ropes, back to me, sit down, stand up, this kind of thing. Round about that period as well, they'll also find an excuse to beast you out on the mud. So that's the River yeah. X estuary. And that's secretly everyone really wants to do that because you don't want to go through training and not do a mud run. Mm. And for health and safety reasons, they they have stopped people doing that over the years. Yeah. And then, so what does it look after? Do you want to explain what the pass out is? Yeah, so um, I think... I. So when I did it, it was at week 23. So you're looking at about two thirds of the way through training and um, you start off, you do your rope climb, 21, 22 pounds of uh, weight in your webbing, rifle on your back, boots, all the gear. Um, you do your full rope climb. So that's what I got injured on. So for me, if I could pass that rope climb, if I could do that rope climb, nothing was going to stop me on the rest of it. Nothing. So you do the, you do the full rope climb, then you do the assault course, uh, which... I wish I could remember every obstacle, but <laughs> it's quite a decently long assault, assault course. Um, you do a fireman's carry. They usually pair you up with someone roughly about the same size as you. Uh, they keep all their gear on. You keep all your gear on, but you pop them on your back 200 meters in two minutes, I think it is. Um, and then a full regain over the tank. So a regain is when you climb along a horizontal rope. You dangle down, holding just on with your arms. Then you get back on top of the rope you know, swing yourself around. Yeah, you all know, like, if you're in, you know the movements. It's like second nature now. And then you climb to the end and there's a big tank of water underneath in case you fall. Um, so, and yeah. What, why is, if you can explain, why is that bottom field pass out so nerve-wracking for people? What happens if you fail one of these things? So, obviously, if you fail, you can get back-trooped and stuff like that. But for the most part, if you fail numerous times, you're just not going to get through training. Yeah, you feel you'll kick you out. They'll kick you so out. So it's it's one of those moments you get two attempts at it, or we did, I think. Mm. If you fail, like you can't get up the rope, or if you can't do the regain, 
which sometimes the regain, it, it can just be hit or miss on the day. It's not like you're bad at it. It can just be you're yeah. having a bad day. And you fail it once, you get one retry the following week. You fail mm. that, that's it. You you go back to the next troop to retrain, or if you're really rubbish, maybe even further. Even further, yeah. The interesting thing for my regain... So I'm over I'm over the tank, you're about ten feet above this stagnant pond basically. It's, 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 gross. Like, it's like a stagnant <laughs> swimming pool. Yeah. Sometimes they just throw you in it for the hell of it. And of course in the winter it's bitterly cold. But I crawled across and then you've got it you're supposed to roll under, let go with your feet, then then you swing slightly and you 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 get a foot back on you get your elbow over you get your arm over and you swing around and they say look up the rope and that action of looking up the rope gets you back on top of the rope in all that equipment you would say from that position it's impossible but it's not but I was so fortunate because I've always been climbing ropes since I was about five years old I'll be on the thing, I'd fall underneath, I'd let go, and then I would just swing down, swing back up, and I'd jump straight back onto the rope. I didn't have to do any of the <laughs> any of that. I'd just swing down, come back, and just jump straight, literally straight back on top of the rope. And when I did my pass out, um, there was only one nod, so one other recruit that was watching me at the time, the PTIs and the, or the and the, the training team, whoever were there, just happened to be their attention was looking elsewhere. So I did this thing where I swung down and I just jumped back on top of the rope. And this one nod was like, "Huh?" <laughs> it just, you know, it's it's very rare. I don't think many, um, you know, I don't think many people could do it. The other thing that I could do, and only. I think maybe only three of us could do this was I could climb up the the 30 foot ropes in full equipment, just using my hands, my arms. And then I could do it again a second time. Jeez. Um, yeah. Yeah. That wasn't um, my cup of tea. I could, I, I just always struggled with the rope. Uh, and I think a lot of it probably was, you know, you have a couple of bad attempts and mentally you're like that extra last foot or two. You're just like, I don't know if I can do it. And you're there and you're stuck there. They're looking at you, shouting, you're like, you've got a foot, just keep going. You're like, I can't do it, you know? Uh, but um, yeah, the big thing for me was I, I um, on my first attempt, I got to the top, but I slipped down and fell down and I did a bunch of damage to my ankle. Um, so getting back on that rope, with all that gear on, you know, and, and bearing in mind when you're on bottom field, just to put this into perspective, um, it's muddy. The bottom field is muddy, even if it's summer, for the most part, it's muddy. And when you're doing uh, the warm-up, even though they, you do press-ups and stuff, they tell you to do it on your fists so you don't get your hands muddy. By the time you get to the rope, because you use your legs on the rope and other people have been up it, it's, there's a lot of mud, it's wet, it's slippery. So, And the ropes are so thick, you can't get your hand all the way around it. So... There's a lot of there's a lot of um, even though there's a lot of technique, there's also a, a lot of mental stoppages of like you know 
can I get a good grip? You know, if I get to the top, am I going to slip? You know, there's a lot of things going through your mind. And sometimes, or like on the day when I passed it, my goal was just, just do it. Don't think, just do it. Got to the top, got back down. And then after that, I knew I was going to get through the rest of the bottom field. But that, to me, that was the hardest part. Of, I mean, and I say hardest part, I say a mixture of both physically and mentally the hardest part. Mentally, the hardest part on its own was probably final X. And physically, the hardest part was probably the 30 miler or something like that. But as a mixture of them both, overall, I think that bottom field for me was was the hardest. What about you? What was what was your uh, what was your hardest? Well, um, what I thought we could do. We're coming up for about an hour now, mm. so maybe um, we'll stop on the hour ish, yeah. and we can do another one because I'm sure our listeners would love to hear just about the commando tests. Yeah, um, I couldn't talk now because I'm gonna. Busting for a piss. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine, mate. You're fine. I could just go. I know, I know. But yeah. I think an hour is nice to stop, and then maybe we do another hour because the commando yeah. tests in themselves are just legendary. We could talk about the commando tests and the final exercise. Yeah. But um, the two things, there was only two things I struggled with. Well, no. Speed marching, I struggled with full stop. It was the hardest thing I ever did. Mm. Part of the reason for that is when you're five foot eight, which I am, you got to cat and, and you know, I was like, let's say 10 stone. Really, you know, not, not a lot. Um, you're still carrying the same weight as someone who's, 17 stone 18 stone huge six foot mm -hmm. seven giant who's got a little bit of, you know their kit on their back looks like a little pack like that big and their weapon is like a matchstick to them right and they're just mm -hmm. and they're they just open their legs and it's so easy for me your legs are going like like this <laughs> and within every speed march within um a hundred or so meters you know certainly within 500 meters I was spent. I was just spent. I'd hit. I would hit the wall at that point, and then I'd be pushing the wall for the, the whole rest of it. Um, it was, and I'd be praying to get back to camp. You know that feeling of seeing the gates of the camp and knowing, or or getting to the end of Heartbreak Lane, and you see, even you <laughs> see the little guy, the poster mm -hmm. in the tree that says, "Only five hundred meters to go. It's only pain." <laughs> Even that was pain, more pain, yeah. because that's still 500 metres and I was dying, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, that was that. Everything else I was fine with. I was okay at drill, although I realised that I marched pretty... They didn't realise how funny I marched until we got to the end of training. We had to march up for, you know, to get our berry and our awards. And they were like, Thrill, what the fuck do you march like? And I, it, it's because some things I... I got to the end of training and there were so many things I still just didn't know that other lads were doing. I just didn't know. I didn't know, for example, you didn't have to wash every single item of kit every single day. You know, with the exception of like my woolly pulley and my love it trousers, obviously don't wash them every day. But everything else, I just washed it. You know, religiously, I was up till half two every morning waiting for the dryers, doing it. And it wasn't until I sort of 
you know, got into my unit that I realised lads weren't even washing their shirts every day. You know, if they if it looked clean, they were just hanging it back on the on the peg, and you know, I don't I don't blame them, especially when sleep yeah. is a premium. So most of that sort of stuff I did okay. It was like bullying your boots. I was okay. I was never brilliant at it. There was some of the cadets that were just, you know, really made their boots so shiny. And the best thing I ever did, I got one of those cheat brushes that it's like a sponge and you can just wipe it on. And it ri <laughs> I was the only person in the troop that could get my boots shiny after the mud run. And they thought, the training team thought I'd put all this effort in, but it wasn't. I had this magic sponge and I just wiped it over the toe cap and it made it, even a wet boot, it made it shiny. But um, the two things I really struggle with, and I'd suggest anyone watching this podcast, you watch episode two because I'm going to talk to you about it. And it really is, it's for me, it's the nuts and bolts of, uh, of the Marines. Mm -hmm. And that is the endurance course and the swimming, both mm. of which I failed, I think, two times a piece before I passed mm -hmm. and when I passed the endurance course it was uh, the actual commando test right so I didn't pass it before we had two or three runs for it before on the commando test I had to pass it or get back trooped I think you got one rerun yeah but you don't want to be doing reruns when you've got a 30 mile you, you know after a 30 yeah. miler the Tarzan Assault course, and a nine-miler, then you've got to do a fifth, basically a fifth commando test. Um, and the other thing I didn't pass until the last week of training was the swimming. I'm, uh, you know, I mean, you look at me now, I, I haven't, I've never had an ounce of fat on me. And I'm just, even swimming normally, I, I'm kind of there. I've really had to learn how to swim to do, to do my triathlons. Um, and that was, uh, yeah, that was interesting. And mm -hmm. I'll, I'll speak about that ne next next time we speak. Yeah, let's let's definitely do an episode two. Let's yeah. definitely do an episode two at some point. I mean, oh. I've re I've genuinely enjoyed this. Oh, it's brilliant, and uh, and it's it's yeah. it's great to catch up with a with a brother who I haven't met, which you think that's quite unique. A brother you haven't met, like a long lost uh, twin or something, separated <laughs> at birth. Um, that's one. It's great to hear your story. Stay on the line, Luke. I'll, I'll hit the off button on my, my recording device and, and I'm sure you'll do the same. But yep. um, yeah, and maybe next time when we talk, you can tell us about what you're doing in the States. How are you finding it over there? What it's like to live with, um, you know, in, in the American culture, um, this, kind mm -hmm. of, this kind of thing. Brilliant. So to my guests... Uh, thank you. Uh, sorry to my subs, my watchers, my listeners. Thank you ever so much for tuning in to this joint Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Lots of love to you all. Take care and I will see you soon. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username... Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.